It was a story that began with boy meets girl and ended in a web of jealousy, betrayal, and a murder. Michelle Warner was a beautiful young woman living in Houston. She had everything to live for, family, friends, and two children. So when she suddenly vanished into thin air from the apartment she shared with her ex-boyfriend one night, those who knew her were convinced she had met with foul play. This was a case that immediately spoke to me when it was splashed across headlines. I instinctively felt that this was a young woman in danger and that her family needed help. So of course I reached out to those close to her to see if they could shed some light on what might have possibly happened. I wanted her found just like the rest of America. You know, I'm just like everybody else. I read the newspaper, I read the internet, and from time to time I see stories that I think, I can have an impact here. I can use my platform. I can do something to change the course of events. And certain stories just reach out to me, and typically it's those that involve children that are caught in the middle of turmoil, caught in the middle of chaos, children without a voice. And in this story, there were children whose mother just vanished off the face of the earth. Now, this mother, Michelle's live-in ex, was a man named Mark Castellano. He would soon agree to an on-camera interview with me. Now, remember that name, Mark Castellano. It's one that I won't soon forget. I suspect you won't either. I didn't know it at the time, but meeting with Mark would set off a domino effect that would pull me personally into this case in ways that I could never have imagined. And it would all unfold in real time. The following series will give you a real behind-the-scenes look at what started as an interview and became a chilling game of cat and mouse between Michelle's killer and myself. You're going to see this through my eyes. As I say, it unfolds in real time. And I'm going to tell you what I was thinking, what I was doing, and how this whole thing came together. By the way, I'm Dr. Phil, and you're listening to Twisted Love, bringing a murderer to justice. My Bessie Stormburst low top and weekend sneakers empower my summer adventures. Now, I went to New York last week because I had to do a press tour, and I was prepared to embrace the summer season to its fullest, no matter what it threw my way weather-wise. And I'd been going from interview to interview, like seriously, 15, 20 during the day. And then I went to a dinner with clients. I knew that in the middle of that dinner, I had to do one more really key interview. And in order to do it, I had to leave the middle of that dinner and that noisy restaurant for about 10 or 15 minutes. And sure enough, I got to the door to step outside where it was quiet and it was raining cats and dogs. But I had on my Vessie Stormburst, so I was able to go through all of that water on the sidewalk, across the street, to get into my car so I could do the interview in the quiet. You want to stay prepared. Join us now and let us make this summer one for the books. Seize the sun-kissed days and thrilling escapades at Vessie.com mystery for shoes. 
that masterfully combine waterproof protection with urban elegance. Start your journey with Vessi and get an automatic 15% off your first order at checkout. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. Let's start at the beginning. Just who was Michelle Warner? According to those that had known her, she was not only a beautiful woman, but also a fantastic mother. The type of woman who could light up a room simply by walking into it. When I first spoke to Mark, it was easy to see he was in awe of her. She captivates the room when she walks in. That part about her is completely true. She mesmerizes people. Back in the early 2000s, Michelle moved from her small hometown to Houston. She was looking for a new start. She was looking for some direction in her life. To be honest, she was used to being the center of attention, but not always for the best reasons. She got married right out of high school and soon gave birth to a daughter named Haley. And when Michelle's relationship with her husband went south, they split, and he was awarded custody of their daughter. I think that a daughter should be with both parents if both of the parents are fit, regardless of whether it's mother or father. I think that's becoming more and more outdated as time goes by. But when you see a daughter awarded to a father, you can usually suspect, quite rightly, that there must be something going on, something pathological with the mother. And in Michelle's case, that was true, because at the time, she had a very tumultuous life. While she had once been interested in a career in criminal justice, partying had really taken over her life. She was going out, being wild. She was completely unfocused, unfocused on career, unfocused on parenting. Was that what was happening now when she had disappeared? And the family's answer was absolutely not. They say there was no way that she would do that now. All of that was in her past. She had worked hard to clean up her act. The parents were right. She had changed when she moved to Houston. After years of hanging out with a bad crowd, she got a stable job. She was working as a secretary at a medical firm. It was at this job that she met her boyfriend, Mark Castellano. This was in 2008. Many people who knew them said they seemed to be an odd romantic match right from the start. Now, what did they mean by that? Well, look, she was a striking brunette with cornflower blue eyes and a megawatt smile. She had a bubbly personality that made it possible for her to just talk to anyone, never met a stranger, could come in and just engage with anyone. Meanwhile, Mark was an IT guy in the most stereotypical sense. He looked every inch the part. While Michelle was always glamorous and dressed to the nines, Mark was a pudgy, nearing middle-aged man who wore black glasses and button-downs. She was gregarious. 
He was more of a fade into the crowd and keep quiet kind of guy. Together, they were truly beauty and the dweeb. Others' reaction to their relationship weren't just because of the superficial. According to Michelle's family, Mark always seemed, well, to quote them, weird. My impression of Mark from the very beginning was, what an odd duck. What a strange little man. I absolutely do not know what Michelle saw in Mark. You know, people always say opposites attract. Maybe so. Maybe we are attracted to something that's different. But while they may attract, do they last? You know, I've been working in human functioning and behavior for over 45 years now. And I've often talked about how people can be attracted to those that are very different from themselves. It's not the attraction that works. It's figuring out life after the initial infatuation and figuring out how to become complementary to one another, how to compromise between your style and their style so that in an additive way, both of you are more complete. There's not only emotional vulnerability, there can be sometimes even danger when you dive into a relationship headfirst with someone that you don't really take the time to get to know. You don't really know what you're getting into. You may know people that are like you, so you can say, okay, they think like me, they act like me, they have a background like me, so I can foresee what they're likely to do. But when you're dealing with somebody that's not at all like you, it's hard to know what is antecedent to certain behaviors. It's hard to know what behaviors foretell other behaviors. You know how you react when you're getting angry or upset, but do you know how they react when they're getting angry or upset? Being with a guy like Mark might have seemed like a smart choice on paper to Michelle. Look, she had run with a rough crowd. She had run with a party crowd. She had run with druggies. I mean, she had been in a really bad situation and had fallen on hard times because of it. Maybe she thought, okay, here's a guy that's kind of a brainiac. This guy seems straight as a string. And maybe she thought being with a guy who seemed safe, square, mainstream, worlds away from where she had been, that she would enter a world that didn't have any of the triggers that made her vulnerable to relapse before. Maybe she thought it would bring her security and protection that she had lacked in the past from other men. Maybe she was ready to be taken care of. So maybe she went for him instead of just another bad boy who, while maybe exciting, was not safe and was not predictable. Maybe Michelle had been looking for a regular guy to settle down with. Maybe. But before very long, life with Mark became way bumpier than anything she had experienced on the dark side. In 2009, Michelle was living with Mark when she gave birth to their first child together. Second baby, first child together. A baby boy they named Caden. 
Instead of bringing the couple closer together, parenthood began to show major cracks in their relationship. According to her family, Mark just couldn't handle the pressures of raising a young child who needed constant attention. It was really straining him. It was really getting on his nerves. And it wasn't just raising a child that was causing friction between the two of them. People close to the couple allege that Mark was a very controlling person. He wanted to know where Michelle was at all times and what she was doing. Now, if you know this couple, and as I said, she was the beauty queen. She was the gregarious type. She was the life of the party. And he was the bookworm type. He clearly was out of his league socially when he hooked up with her. So was his controlling nature based on his insecurity? Some speculated that this was a relationship of convenience for Michelle. As I said, maybe she was looking for something different. Some speculated that maybe she was taking advantage of Mark and that she didn't really love him or want to be with him, but that it just, quote, fit what she needed at the time. Did he believe this? Was he afraid of this? Was he aware that she was, quote, way out of his league, close quotes, and therefore worried that it was just a matter of time and if he didn't keep her on a short lease, didn't keep a close eye on her, that she would very soon dance away with someone more exciting, tall, dark, and handsome, to be cliché. One of Michelle's closest friends, Stephanie Helton, didn't just call Mark controlling, she called him psychotic. Strong words, but if your ego is on the line, it can really get to you. Our number one need is acceptance. Our number one fear is rejection. And if you have been accepted by someone that you never in your wildest dreams believed you would have the ability to be with, being rejected by them is a long way to fall. It can be terrifying. Once you've been on the other side, you go, wow, I don't ever want to lose this. Is that what he was thinking? Stephanie was Michelle's best friend of 20 years, and she was singing like a canary about their relationship to the media. According to her, the two were barely dating when Michelle became pregnant with their son. Barely dating. Stephanie claimed their relationship had never been a good situation. She said, and I quote, He had episodes. He tried suicide. He's done other crazy things. Nothing extra violent. He's pushed her up against the wall, that type of thing. He's threatened her. Stephanie didn't stop there with her allegations. In addition to alleging threats, Stephanie claimed that a member of Michelle's family told her on the night of Michelle's disappearance, Mark threw their pet cat against the wall in a rage. Now, clinically, that means something to me. She also claimed that there was a trail of bleach leading from the bedroom, through the living room, 
and to the front door. At the time of these claims, police were not verifying Stephanie's statements. She also said that Mark claimed that Michelle hit him the night she disappeared. Now, understand, that's Mark talking. Mark claimed that Michelle hit him the night she disappeared. So even though he's pointing the finger at her for violence, it is acknowledging that there was a physical altercation the night she disappeared. So on the one hand, you have the missing woman's best friend alleging abuse, threats, and shouting. And she's saying this was a completely dysfunctional relationship and one that really was on its way out. In fact, she says they were barely dating when she got pregnant. But at this point, Michelle's family's qualm was mainly that they didn't like Mark's personality. They never mentioned any malice on his part. They just didn't like the guy. Now, however you want to interpret this relationship at this point, it's clear that there were problems. It's clear that there was dysfunction. Now, I've talked about these hallmark signs of trouble. In an abusive relationship, when we talk about abuse, our mind always runs to the physical. But there are other aspects of abuse that sometimes don't get as much marquee attention. And there are signs of an abusive relationship. Earmarks that just tend to show up when you're in an abusive relationship, like quick involvement. We know they got involved very quickly here. We know that she got pregnant. We know that they had a baby together within a year of meeting each other. We know that there was extreme controlling behavior on Mark's part. We know that there was extreme jealousy. We know that there were threats of violence. And there were allegations of physical altercations between the two, whether it was him or whether it was her. There was physicality in anger between the two. Abrupt mood changes, verbal abuse, breaking objects, use of force during an argument. These are early warning signs of abuse in a relationship. Their arguing and stress mounted until Michelle finally decided she just had to move out. She was ready for a life without Mark in it. Now, I want you to look at things through Mark's eyes for a minute because I told you I was going to share with you my point of view in this when I started looking at this case. And again, I looked at their social station, and that may seem terribly superficial to you. But let me tell you, I don't make the rules. I'm just interpreting reality here. Here's a guy that is involved with someone that is very atypical for him. This is not the kind of woman he would normally be involved with. He's with the, quote, it girl. And as I said, that's a lot of pressure. There's a fear of rejection here. It's a long way to fall. If you get with this girl that would be your fantasy woman, this would be who you would in your dreams. She's beautiful. She's voluptuous. She's 
popular, she's gregarious, she's entertaining, she's just the center of attention when she walks in the room, and you're with her, and you fear losing that, that can put a lot of pressure on you and cause you to hold on really, really tight. And it was getting very clear in talking to family and friends that she was ready for a life without Mark in it. So once again, Michelle became like a tumbleweed blowing in the breeze, bouncing from job to job and apartment to apartment, except now the stakes were higher. She had a child to raise. And according to her mother, Mark wasn't paying child support or helping Michelle at all with their child. The man Michelle had gravitated towards in an attempt to cultivate a normal life had deeply disappointed her, and it left her feeling like she had been tossed out to sea without a raft. In the summer of 2012, she found a new job opportunity, but still needed a place for her and Caden. Of course she turned to the man who had once promised her the world, the father of her child, Mark. She told him she wanted to move back into his Houston apartment so they could raise Caden as a family. The catch? They would be co-parenting, but she did not want a romantic relationship with him ever again. That part of their lives was over. So let me be clear what's happened here. When they fell on hard times, they split up. She started bouncing around. She started going to different jobs. She moved out, had her own apartment. In fact, multiple apartments. But then, in 2012, when she got this new, really solid job, she said, okay, I've got to turn this around. I've got to take care of my child. I've got to stop bouncing around and get some roots. I've got to get a solid base under me here. She made a bad decision. Her thought was, okay, it's his biological father. We can live together, co-parent him. We'll just be roommates. She underestimated how Mark would handle that. Mark may have been overwhelmed with parenting and responsibilities, but those who knew the couple say that Mark's feelings for Michelle had never faltered. After all, he had never met anyone like her. He certainly had never been with anyone like her. Clearly, she had brought stress into his life, but she also brought excitement. And the idea of her moving back in was almost like she was dangling a carrot in front of him that there might be a sliver of hope that they would get back together, even though she was saying the opposite. Look, couples living together who are not romantically involved, there has to be a very clear understanding, and there has to be a matched set of emotional energy and investment for it to have any chance of working. If there are competing agendas, if one is saying, look, we can just be roommates and co-parent this child, and the other is secretly still harboring romantic feelings, still has an agenda of reconciling, 
still is in love, still has those feelings, it's just not going to work. Did Michelle know that Mark was still romantically drawn to her? Were the ground rules clear in this situation? Because I can tell you, she might have thought, look, I feel no attraction to him whatsoever, so I don't see any problem with it. But that's not how he saw it. So look at it from his eyes. He's in love with this woman. He has been from the beginning. He wants her back. Now they're living together in an apartment, and she comes walking through, maybe scantily clad. It's just tempting to him. It's taunting to him. And he just doesn't know how to handle that. Add to that all of the warning signs that I mentioned earlier about an abusive relationship. Add to that their rocky history. Moving back in just didn't seem like a wise idea. I understand that hindsight is twenty twenty. It looks clear looking back. But Michelle needed a roof over her head. And that was pulling her back to this living situation. It clearly it hadn't worked out before, but on the positive side, it was the child's biological father. And I'm sure they had conversations where it was like, sure, we can make this work, because I think he would be willing to do anything to get her back in. Now, again, let me do it aside here. I'm learning all of this as I'm looking at this story. What I have is a woman that has disappeared. And I'm looking at this and saying, all right, what could happen here? Did she just spin off again and go down drug highway? Or has something more sinister happened? And I'm evaluating this and looking at a living situation that had been undertaken that had no chance of working. It's apparent to me that he is still in love with her. She is not in love with him. And they get into a situation where it's right in his face, where he wants what he can't have. He's shown violence in the past. He's shown abrupt mood changes in the past. He's highly controlling. And then she disappears. And I'm very, very concerned at this point. She was at a point in her life with this new job, which was a career position. It doesn't seem likely to me that she's relapsed. I'm very concerned. But, That's what happened. She did move back in with Mark in the summer of 2012 with their son, and three months later, she's gone. Poof. No note, no blood, no nothing. Just Michelle's family and an eerily calm Mark left to help police fill in the story. Eerily calm Mark. Let's go to the day she went missing. It's Saturday, September 22nd, 2012. Michelle's brother, David, was unable to get a hold of her. This wasn't like the new Michelle. Immediately, he called Mark to see if he knew where she could be. Do you have any idea of where she may be? You're the last person I know of that's actually seen her. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. But like I said, I don't know where the hell she went. So this was the story Mark first shared with him. He said he had had a big fight with Michelle and that she had walked out of their shared apartment, leaving their son Caden and her car behind. Now, you know I was already suspicious, but now this mother has disappeared, left her son behind, and her car. I wasn't the only one suspicious at this point. Her family was as well. 
the old she left and I haven't seen her since story isn't new when it comes to suspects in missing persons cases. But was it possible that Mark was telling the truth? They could have argued, and she could have stormed out. They had in the past. In fact, that's why they had broken up before. Immediately, her family suspected that this wasn't an open and shut case of Michelle storming out after a fight and abandoning her son. He was her everything, and she would never do that. Not according to her family. Mark told police the same thing he told the family. They had fought, and she had left. But certain things about Mark's story were already raising eyebrows. First of all, he seemed cool as a cucumber in light of her going missing. Now, even if they weren't romantically involved, even if they had just had a blowout fight and said horrible things to each other and she had fled the apartment, wouldn't you think he'd worry about her? Even if she wasn't an object of his love and affection, she is the mother of his child. It was just downright bizarre how collected he was acting, while the rest of her family was beside themselves with worry. And again, to show you the bubble over my head, I don't believe for a second that she wasn't the object of his love and affection. Because I believe that when he agreed for her to move back in, it was a ploy for him to reconcile. It was a ploy to get her back in his bed. It was a ploy for him to recapture the relationship he had and had lost. It was a high-stakes poker game for him to get what he had lost. And then for her to have walked out, the ultimate rejection, he would be pained. He would be heartbroken. And he certainly would be concerned that the woman he loved so much was missing. Someone that controlling would have an absolute need to know where she was. But all of a sudden, that love, that affection, that need to control just seemed to go away. Was it because he had changed? Or was it because he already knew where she was? Here is where Mark's behavior gets even stranger. The very same night she disappeared, the very same night she disappeared, Mark drove their son Caden 500 miles away to his parents' home in Odessa, Texas. The drive from Houston to Odessa takes roughly eight hours, and he made this drive in the middle of the night, leaving Caden with his grandparents. Why would he feel it necessary to do that? Now, you could argue Mark wanted to take Caden with him to be with his parents for support, but it sure seems like he was trying to get the hell out of Dodge right when this case was heating up. Was he a concerned father or a man focused on covering his tracks? Getting his son temporarily out of the picture would give him the time he needed to start erasing clues that might lead back to him. After all, if he was innocent, wouldn't you think he would want to stay local in case he could see or hear 
from the missing mother of his child? Meanwhile, Michelle's phone, well, it had been turned off. That was also, according to her family, extremely unlike her. No matter how angry she might become, what mother would willingly leave their child, leave their car, and their phone all in one fell swoop? It just wasn't adding up. And again, the bubble over my head is what mother would do that? None. Not a mother I know would leave their car, their phone, their child, and just go off the radar. Not voluntarily. In another interesting twist, when police investigated the couple's Houston apartment, they noticed that the hard drives from the computers were missing. Now remember, Mark was a computer whiz. It was his job. He was a computer technician. He was an information technology guy. So right away, that sent a message to police. There was something on those hard drives that Mark did not want found. But what could it be? That certainly went on my short list of considerations. Mark remained tight-lipped about those hard drives, telling police he needed something on them but not what. In fact, Mark wasn't saying much to police at all. He claimed he was no longer in love with Michelle, but that he wanted her home safe and sound. Now clearly, if Mark knew more, he wasn't going to tell police. Michelle had now been missing for nearly a week. Not a peep, not a sound, not a transaction, not a credit card, nothing had surfaced. The investigation was stalled. All roads were leading back to a man who seemed to have everything to hide. Now, this is where I stop being an interested party on the outside and became actively involved in the case. Like I said, all of us at Dr. Phil knew this was a woman in need. We had talked about it. We had talked about it in morning production meetings. This was on our radar. I'm from Texas. I know Houston. I've been there a lot. I've tried many, many cases in Harris County when I was at Courtroom Sciences. I had an office in Houston, Texas for a number of years. I've worked with law enforcement there. I'm very familiar with this area. It's my home state, and I have strong ties in Houston, so this one hit my radar. And like I said, we knew this was a woman in need, but it was still a surprise when Mark answered our call. And when I say answered our call, when we see news stories like this that are of particular interest and of interest to me because of my background in forensic psychology, my history in working with relationships, etc., and it's something where we think an impact can be had and they're in the news, we'll reach out to them. We'll call them and say, can we help in some way? Would you like to talk? Sometimes people are afraid to talk 
Sometimes they're not. It was a surprise when Mark answered our call. It was a surprise to me because as I looked at it, I thought, this is a guy that has an awful lot to hide. And if you've ever watched Dr. Phil, you know I'm going to ask the hard questions. You know I'm going to ask the follow-up questions. You know I'm going to do my homework before I get there. He said he wanted to speak with us. When he got on the phone with my producer, he claimed he had nothing to hide. He said he was eager to share his story, and he wanted to prove his innocence to me. He said he had not hidden the hard drives. He said he had them, and he would willingly show them to me. As it turned out, that was the first of many times that he would try to lie to me. When I began to drill down on this, I found out the backstory to why he was willing to talk to me. As it turns out, we had reached out to him while he was being either investigated or certainly attended to by the Houston police. And he asked them, he told them, he said, I've been contacted by Dr. Phil and he wants to interview me. What do you think I should do? Well, Houston law enforcement was very encouraging of Mark speaking to me. To their way of thinking, he was not being forthcoming with detectives. And they thought, well, he certainly might give up something in an interview with me. As I say, I've got strong ties in Harris County. I know a lot of these folks. I've worked with Houston and Harris County law enforcement before, and their attitude was absolutely, we think you should go talk to him. We think you should sit down and answer his questions. You're interested in finding your wife? Talk to him. Absolutely. We think you should. This dialogue was all going on while he was in Odessa, Texas, at his family's home. Once I got that information, I immediately got on a plane to Odessa. I had to meet this man who was the last person to see this mother alive. Now, Odessa is the Texas town that inspired the hit high school football series and movie, Friday Night Lights. This is a town that's out in the West Texas Plains. It's all about home. It's all about family. It's all about football. That's what they do there. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It is surrounded with dusty plains, dotted with oil and gas rigs. That's what the town is known for. Because it's home and family, school is a big part of the life. And because school is a big part of the life, football is a big part of the life. And when you look on that land, it seems vast and empty. It's very flat there. On a clear day, you can see miles and miles and miles. You can't help but think to yourself that trying to find a body out there would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. But off to Odessa I went, having been there many, many times before. Going into this interview with Mark, I cautioned myself to keep an open mind. Having spent much of my professional career in the litigation arena, I understand the concept of innocent until proven guilty. I understand 
how circumstantial evidence can look one way when reality is something very different. That being said, you simply cannot ignore the accumulation of facts, not inferences, but facts. And I cannot ignore human nature and incongruencies between how someone is behaving, how someone is reacting, with how I know they would normally be reacting. I go in wondering, is he going to try to pull the wool over my eyes? Is he going to be evasive, try to avoid my questions? I wanted this to lead to the truth. I wanted this to lead to answers. I wanted this to lead to finding Michelle. If she was dead, I wanted justice for her family. If she was alive, I wanted to find her. But as I drove from the airport into the neighborhoods with these houses that look like any neighborhood in America, just rows of houses with two-car garages all facing the street, close together, side by side, I was about to meet the man at the center of this case the man who, in my mind, was the main suspect. What did he know? Was he innocent or was he looking to con me and make sure that if he was lying, that his lies were broadcast to millions of viewers? I was particularly interested that if he was lying, that those lies were going to be broadcast to people in Houston, Texas, because someone might know something that would contradict what he was trying to tell me. And having spent a lot of my career in deception detection, I was going to be keenly sensitive to whether or not I believed this man was telling the truth. Deception detection is one thing. Getting to what is the truth is a whole other category of interrogation. So I had two objectives. One is to detect if he was being deceptive. And if he was, to get to what was the truth. I was about to decide for myself just who this man was. There was a light rain beginning to fall when we turned onto the street. And I saw the car that would be central to this case parked in a small circle drive right in front of the house as I pulled up to the curb. It was time to sit down with Mark. That's what's next on Twisted Love, bringing a murderer to justice. I'm Dr. Phil.